Amen. Give it up for the Lord in this place if you know he's good. Come on, give the Lord a shout. Amen, amen. You know what I was thinking about when I was standing there worshiping the Lord? Your life is a testimony. By you standing here today, it's positive proof that we serve a God who is able. He is faithful. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is a very present help in the time of trouble. Amen. How many of you believe that? Our God is good and he is great to be praised. Well, so good to be with you guys. Man, I've missed y'all. Uh, for those of you that I haven't had the opportunity to meet, my wife and I, Judy, have the amazing privilege of serving as the campus pastors at our Wilkett location. And I want to greet all of those that are watching us from Wilkett. I will be there to see you guys on Wednesday. Miss you already, but I know you guys are having a great time in the Lord. But for those of you here, so glad to be in your presence. I know I see a lot of new faces that are here and also some familiar faces. Glad to be back in the house of the Lord here in New Milford. Amen. God is doing some great things. Uh, I greet you with happy Thanksgiving along with Merry Christmas. I know we're a couple of days past Thanksgiving, so I hope I can say Merry Christmas. Is that all right with you guys? All right. Now, how do you know if you had too much to eat? If you cannot touch your toes, there's a problem, okay? So uh, maybe you can do a quick little exercise, try to see if you can touch your toes. But anyway, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving with family, a lot to be thankful for. And I know for a lot of you that may be watching and for here in this room, maybe this was a difficult Thanksgiving. Maybe a family member was not there. But may I encourage you with this, to live as Christ and to die as gain. You will see them again if they are in the Lord. Amen. Amen. So I hope you had a wonderful time with your family. Well, I'm excited to open up this series. I'm going to have you guys go on and sit down for right now, and then we'll come back and we'll do our Bible confession and also read our scripture. But I'm excited because we're opening up a series talking about uh, Christmas at the movies. And uh, before we get to that, I want to go on and honor my pastor, our pastors, Pastors Frank and Lisa Santori. Can we give it up for our pastors who are in the house? I got to make sure I'm on my best behavior because he's looking at me with intent right now. So let me make sure that I still know how to preach. But uh, so glad for this amazing privilege that Pastor Frank went and trusted me to open up this series and share this word with you. But I am going to be looking at the movie Home Alone. How many of you in this room have seen the movie Home Alone? I believe I was nine or ten years old when this movie first came out. I'm not going to tell you the year because I don't want to give away my age. But I was about nine or ten years old when this movie came out. And it became a classic in our home that we watched almost every year. But if you have not seen the movie, here's a quick little plug for it. Uh, it's Christmas time. And the McAllister family is preparing for a vacation in Paris, France. However, the youngest in the family, Kevin McAllister, also Macaulay Culkin is his real name, got into a scuffle with his older brother, Buzz, and was sent to his room, which is on the third floor of his house. Now, I will say that as we watched this movie, my mom was very clear. You better not ever talk to me the way this young man talked to his mom or else you are going to be in trouble. All right. If you've seen the movie, you know exactly what I mean. This brother got away with a lot that I would not get away with in my home. But then it says the next morning, while the rest of the family was in a rush to make it to the airport on time, they completely forgot about Kevin. 
Mm. Who now has the house all to himself, being home alone, was fun for Kevin for a while. Having pizza all to himself, jumping on his parents' bed, and making a mess. Then Kevin discovers about two burglars, Harry and Marv, about to rob his house on Christmas Eve. Kevin acts quickly by wiring his own house with makeshift booby traps to stop the burglars and to bring them to justice. That's the plot of the movie. Though this is the plot to the movie, we can easily overlook a neighbor called Mr. Marley who turns out to be a major character in the movie. I must say, even when I watched this movie way back in the day, or not too far back in the day, but when I watched this movie, I don't even remember this guy. I mean, when I went back and watched it, it's like the Lord showed me this as I was preparing this sermon, but I don't even remember him when I used to watch the movie back in the day, but not too far. Um, But it says, Mr. Marley, who turns out to be a major character in the movie, we are initially introduced to Mr. Marley, as Buzz, Kevin's brother, tells him a fictional story about him and another family member. Check out this clip. As you can see from that clip, Kevin is a little terrified. I wouldn't be surprised if his pants were a little wet, but that's all right. If you will, go on and stand with me, and let's make our Bible confession and dive into this. If you need a paper Bible, just raise your hand. Our amazing ushers will assist you, and we'll bring this all together. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, I will hide his word in my heart so I can be all that God has destined me to be. Amen. Amen. I want you, uh, if you will, in honor of God's word, if you will turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, beginning with verse 13. Isaiah, chapter 52, beginning with verse 13. And while you're turning... Isaiah, we're going to kind of start reading from the middle of a chapter, so I wanted to give you a little bit of context. In the first 39 chapters, Isaiah was a prophet who was sent to the nation of Israel, and his mission was to try and persuade them and to tell them of the coming judgment that was coming into their life in hopes that they would repent. But he also, in chapters 40, throughout the rest of the book, he encouraged them that there was a Messiah that was on the horizon who would bring liberation and healing and deliverance to the land. But there was repentance that was required of the people because of their sins and their worship of false idols. But listen to what he says in Isaiah chapter 52, Beginning with verse 13. And if you're on your Bible app, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. For those of you that are watching online or watching there in Wilkett, chapter 52, verse 13. If you have it, say, I got it. If you need some more time, say, hold on. All right. (laughs) My mom. Here we go. So it says, see, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. 
But many were amazed when they saw him. Listen, church. His faith, his his face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence. For they will see what they had not been told. They will understand what they had not heard about. Who has believed our message? Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Newsflash, this is speaking about Jesus. Pay close attention. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down and we thought His troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord has laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by the anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. That's some good news. For he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he, he exposed himself to death He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels as well. I want to speak to you from the subject matter, an unlikely savior. An unlikely savior. Let us pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for every single person that's gathered here in this room, everyone that's watching. Father, I pray that you would minister to us. God, I confess, as always, Lord, that I cannot do this without you. I need your Holy Spirit. I need your presence. 
Speak through me as your servant, God, and minister to every single person in this room as they have need. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much for standing. As we read this passage of scripture, I must admit to you, I knew that as I started reading this, that this would take out the wind beneath your sails. It's a very difficult passage to read. But if we're honest with ourselves, this is the reason for why we celebrate Christmas. This is the reason why we have hope. This is the reason why myself, I get up every day on a mission to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ because I know what he did for me and I know that he's no respecter of persons that he wants to do it for many other people as well. He wants them to come into a relationship with God. But one thing that's interesting to note as we look at this passage of scripture, most scholars agree that Isaiah lived during 700 to 600 BC before Christ. Based on this conclusion, the prophecies mentioned in this chapter, chapters 52 and 53, took place six to 700 years before Jesus actually came to this earth. But even though this prophecy was given, there were people that were looking for somebody else. They were looking for a different type of savior, a savior that would not come as somebody that suffers, a a savior that would conquer, who would take over, who would come and be valiant and battle. They wanted somebody that was different. And the person described in these two chapters goes over their head. It was beyond their comprehension that God would use this type of servant to bring about his plans and his purposes. Just like the fictional character, Mr. Farley, whom we saw in our first clip, Jesus was misunderstood by the religious leaders of his day because they were expecting someone else. Their expectation of Jesus hinged on the fact that they did not understand this passage of scripture, or they chose not to accept it. Because how many of you know the truth can be presented to you, but you can still make a choice not to accept it. And the truth of the matter is, but like God has revealed his nature and his character, even in this earth. The Bible says in Romans that God's invisible attributes are clearly seen through the things that he has made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that the atheist is without excuse. May I submit to you, it takes more faith to not believe in God than it does to believe in God. Because you have to walk outside and literally deny everything that you see instead of looking at what's right in front of you. But may I submit to you, I understand. There may be some of you in this room or watching online. Maybe you have chosen to be angry and upset with God based on the things that have happened in your life. And may I submit to you that God still loves you and he understands your frustration and your anger. But know at the same time that God will bring about an understanding in his timing if you just trust him, if you just cry out to him, if you just pray and seek his face. This brings me to my first point. What we were told about him, about Jesus, would cause us to overlook him. That 
can't be my Jesus. That can't be the Messiah, the promised one that was coming. That can't be. This isn't, this, this totally messes up my expectations. You know, the same is true of Kevin in our movie. Based on what he was told, he began to gain a perspective of Mr. Marley that was not true. And what he failed to realize is this man had a servant's heart and this man was there to help him. But based on what he had been told, what he had been led to believe, he missed the opportunity to see him for who he was. Watch this next clip. In this clip, we can see that Kevin was completely and utterly terrified of Mr. Marley on some rumors that were not true. All of it was a lie. Kevin has other encounters with Mr. Marley, but doesn't realize his closest ally and future protector stands right in front of him. The conditions surrounding Jesus' birth, listen to this, his humble upbringing, his servant attitude and the manner in which he suffered made it difficult for some people to accept him because they thought he would come as a conquering king and restore the kingdom to Israel. Listen to some of these scriptures. In Isaiah chapter 42 verse 2, it declares, he will not shout or raise his voice in public. Let me say that again. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. Jesus was a meek man. In Isaiah 50, verse 6, it says, I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting. May I tell you, even before I read the next verse, this is the reason why I serve this Jesus. There is no other man on this planet that would have done that for me. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not anyone else that went the distance like Jesus did to save humankind, even though he created the universe. This God created the universe. He created all of us. He's upholding everything by the power at his disposal, but yet and still he allowed himself to be subjected to such brutality because he was thinking about you. Did you hear me? Because he was thinking about you. He was thinking about your salvation. He was thinking about your healing. He was thinking about the forgiveness that you would need. He would think he was thinking about the reconciliation that would be required of you, even in your family. The ones that you've been distant from, he died so that all of you could be forgiven and could be back in fellowship with one another. In our main text, in Isaiah 53, verses 2 through 3, it says, My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Do you realize that as Jesus was walking the earth, that people were walking past him every day 
and didn't see him for who he was because the Lord did not reveal himself to them. And the reason why he did not reveal himself to them because their hearts were not yearning for him. See, when you come to God with a contrite and a broken spirit, this is something that the Lord will not despise. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And even though this may seem elementary to some of you here in this room, some of you may say, well, I know the gospel. I've been saved for 20 and 30 years, but sometimes we got to come back to the gospel. Sometimes we have to come back to the place where God first intervened and he showed himself in our lives, especially in these times that we're living in. It's important to understand that in these times that we're living in, because the same God who saved you is the same God who can keep you. I don't care if there's another variant coming. I don't care if you lose your job. I don't care if there's all these things surrounding you, so much stress and pressure. God, I know that you are with me. And if you are for me, who in the world can be against me? Sometimes we got to come back to the foot of the cross I'm tired of seeing Christians live below their inheritance instead of in line with their inheritance. Do you realize that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places? That you are called to walk by faith and not by sight? Jesus said in this tribulation, you will have troubles. This doesn't exclude us from going through trials and temptations and things that we go through in this life. But what did Jesus say? Be of good cheer for what? I have overcome the world. I'm going to bring you through it. Well, Pastor Brandon, I've heard this a thousand times, but the truth of the matter is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You need to remind yourself of this every day and look at yourself in the mirror and say that I am fearfully and wonderfully made by God. He knows my lying down. He knows my getting up. He's well acquainted with all of my griefs, all of my struggles. I am not alone. And some of you in this room have that testimony. Maybe you were alone in that hospital room having an uncertain future, but the Lord swept in and took care of you. The Lord showed himself strong. Some of you have testimonies in this room of what God has done in your life. That's why I say your life is a testimony. Just you standing here today, just you worshiping the Lord is testimony in itself that God is good because the enemy thought he won. But the fact that you're raising your hand after all that you went through means that God is faithful. Amen. And he's good. And he's good. Reflecting on Jesus' sacrifice, the Apostle Paul says something very interesting. In fact, this has been a cornerstone scripture that I have even used within my own marriage. Because the truth of the matter is, and I don't want to deviate from the topic, but I feel led to say this. Sometimes, not just in a marriage, but even in our lives, we can have a sense of entitlement that can come over us. Like we deserve this or like we're entitled to win the fight. How many of you have ever been in a disagreement with somebody and you say to yourself or you justify yourself and you say, you know what? I deserve to feel this way. I deserve to be upset. I deserve to get in my way. I'm winning this fight. But watch this. Listen to what Jesus, what the apostle Paul says about Jesus in Philippians chapter two, verses six through eight. It says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Jesus gave up his divine privileges. 
He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Do you realize, and I know I've said this before, how degrading it was for Jesus to become a man. It would almost be like becoming a roach. And I'm from Texas, one of those American cockroaches. That's how degrading it was for Jesus to become human. But this is something that he willfully allowed himself to undergo. Because he didn't want to just be coming or speak from heaven. God didn't want to speak from heaven and say, I know what you're going through, but not really able to sympathize with our weaknesses. The reason why he became a man, because he knows what it's like to be tempted. Because the Bible says he was tempted in all points, but yet he never sinned. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one. He lost Lazarus. Even though he raised him from the dead, he still lost a loved one. He also knows what it's like to be betrayed by somebody that you uh, had trust in, somebody that you confided in, Judas. Everything that you could possibly go through on this earth, Jesus knows exactly how you feel. Even as a pastor, I have limitations. There are sometimes things that I'm presented with, if I'm being honest with you, where all I can say is, you know what? I don't understand because I have not been through that. But I'm here to pray with you. I'm here to love on you. I'm here to console you, to be there for you. But I know somebody who knows you better than you know yourself. And his name is Jesus. And he is a faithful friend. One of the best friends that you could ever have. He is good. Though the religious leaders of Jesus' day wrote him off, still today people reject him and listen closely because of those who claim to know him. Is it ironic with the division that has transpired in the Christian community why people are saying to themselves, I want nothing to do with Christianity? We can't get it together when it comes to certain stances and certain beliefs about things that have happened over these last couple of years. But I'll tell you this, when the church experienced persecution, that's going to be the glue that brings us back together. The trials and the difficulties that we may face as we get ready for Jesus' coming. But we have to be careful. You know what? At the end of the day, Paul said that I became all things to all men that I may win them over. Paul said I became all things to all men that I win them over. I may have an opinion on something, but if my opinion is going to keep me from being able to minister to somebody, it's not worth it. Because I have my allegiance to God and to him alone to be a witness for him in this earth, which is greater than my opinion or my personal stances on various issues. Can I get amen? God needs us to be his ambassadors, to be his witnesses. Now, granted, God could use anybody. He even spoke to a man through a donkey. So sometimes we can lose our opportunity, but I don't want the Lord to pass me by. God, send me. I'll go. If you want me to be your servant, if you want me to be your witness, I'll be that. I became, I seek to become all things to all men that I win them over. To the weak, I became as weak. To the strong, I became as strong. In different social classes, I became whatever I needed to become with the intent to win that person to Christ. Can we get back to being soul winners for Jesus? 
Can we get back to being soul winners, to proclaiming the gospel, for being a witness for him, to sharing people the good news? Those little invites that we create, those are opportunities to invite people to church. All of these things that we have going on here at at all of our campuses here in New Milford, these were in, there was intentionality that went into these events because we're trying to reach our community. And there are a lot of people who will not come to church because of what they've experienced in the past because somebody was a bad representative of who Christ was, but we want to restore their relationship with Jesus. And that's why we're doing all that we can to try to accomplish that. Modern day idolatry creates a God in our mind that suits our agendas. How many of y'all experienced that? Modern day idolatry creates a God in our mind that suits our agendas. You know, one thing that God spoke to me this past week, and it's something that he's spoken to me even before. When you go and read the word of God, you got to go before the word of God like an open book. You got to read the word of God with no preconceived notions. Because when you are set in a particular way, you can go to the word of God and find things that support your position. But at the end of the day, the Bible says the word of God is living and it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and of the joints and the marrow. But it says something at the end. And every creature is naked and exposed to him to whom we must give an account. You want to really experience some breakthrough in your life? Go before the word of God and say, God, speak to me through your word. Search my heart. If there's preconceived notions or thoughts that I have on the inside of me that I need to get rid of, speak to me through your word and let me receive what it says and be convicted by it as well because I want to change. And I want to be more like you in every way, God. Search my heart. If you've been the recipient of such deception, today is the day to see him, to see God for who he really is. God made a choice, people, and everyone watching, to lavish his love on us through Jesus, who willfully allowed himself to be subjected to so much abuse and torture because he was thinking about us. And he wanted to have a relationship with us and restore that which was lost. Point number two. His humanity and humility will draw us to him. His humanity and humility will draw us to him. As an example of this, let's look at another quip, clip of Mr. Marley. Isn't it interesting how Kevin's defenses and fear of Mr. Marley quickly vanished as he accepted an invitation to have a conversation with him. Guys, that's what I'm trying to communicate with you is so many people have been distant from God and have been reluctant to cry out to him because of the things that they have been told about him that are simply not true. There are a lot of people that refuse to come to Christ refuse to come to church because they feel like they've done so much bad. They've done so much wrong that they are not even worthy or not even, it it doesn't even enter into their mind. How could this God forgive me? How could he let me into the fold? But listen to what this says. In Romans 2, 4, it says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient 
God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? His kindness and his goodness. For those of you that have walked with God for any length of time, I'm sure that you can testify that he is patient, that he is long-suffering. Guys, I would not be standing here today ministering this word to you with conviction if I didn't know for myself that my God is a patient, forgiving, loving father. Having children was one of the best things that happened to me because even in my frailty, even in my weaknesses, and though my kids sometimes dishonor us and can be disrespectful, pastor's kids, even though I still love them and I still want to bless them and I still want to just spend a lot of time with them because I love them so much and I understand the embrace of my heavenly father through having children of my own. If I as an imperfect father, love them and won't throw out the towel on them. What makes you think God who is righteous and perfect will do the same with you? He's a good father. And for some of you, you needed to hear this word today because I have a sense that some of you during Thanksgiving, there was negativity that was spoken at the table. There were things that were done. There was arguments that were had, but you need to know that you can be a conduit for change in your family. You can break the curse as you surrender to Christ and bring your family to the Lord. You can do it. The reason why God acts this way towards us is because of Jesus. Through Jesus' humility and humanity, he can identify with us in our human struggle. Point number three, and I'm bringing this in for a landing. When all hope is lost, he is our defender. Watch this. Evidently, Mr. Marley was aware. Come on, come on. He was aware of Kevin's circumstances. He had been watching. His situation. And he came just at the right time to save him. Do you know that your God has been watching you? He's been watching over you. Even though you have never committed your life to him, I can remember, I can recall growing up not having a relationship with the Lord, but yet I can see his hand protecting me in various ways. And that's God's unmerited favor. It's his grace. It's his common grace, which is applied to all of our lives. You know, God said that even when you think a thought, that God knows it afar off. He says, even when you lie down, even when you get up, David says in Psalm 139 that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made by God. He knows us. Even though we're talking about a fictional character, Mr. Marley, I'm talking to you about the living God who has a personal interest in you. That he rejoices over you with singing. That he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows the hairs that are on your head, even though they're not many. He knows you. He knows your frame. He knows you. Listen to this trait about David. He says, oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it. Lord, you go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. You know me. 
In conclusion, during this season, it's important to remember the true meaning of Christmas. Watch this last clip. Will you stand with me here in this place? The true meaning of Christmas is to celebrate the birth of our unlikely Savior. What better way to celebrate him than to not only receive the forgiveness that he offers us, but to extend that forgiveness to other people. If you have a sibling that you need to reach out to during this Christmas season, it's time. Given all the stuff that we've gone through in these two years, it's time to make amends with that family member. It's time to reconcile that relationship. It's time to reach out to your mother, to reach out to your father, to reach out to that individual that you've been avoiding for years. God is asking you if you have received the forgiveness that Jesus has provided, it's incumbent on you to forgive others as well. So I want to ask just two questions. First question is this. There's no way that we can operate in forgiveness unless we've received a forgiveness of God. There are certain things that are hard to forgive, that there's no way you can do it on your own. But when you receive Jesus, you now have the capacity to do so. Is there someone in this place or watching online, you've never given your heart to the Lord Jesus, and you want to make a decision to surrender your life to him, I want to lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus now. Anyone here in this room, raise your hand. You want to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Anyone watching online, for the sake of those who may give their life to Christ this weekend, just repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and become my Lord and my Savior. I confess that I am a sinner in need of your grace. I believe that you died and that you rose. All power is in your hands. I receive you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For those that gave your life to Christ, if you're watching us, please let us know. Indicate that. For for everyone else here in this room, I pray a special blessing and prayer over you. If there's somebody that you need to forgive, I pray that the Lord would give you the capacity and the ability to forgive that individual and recognize what he's done for you. Let's be the people of God in this season. Let's show the world that we have hope, that we have a true Savior who came for us, who died for us, so that we could live. Love you guys. Merry Christmas. Thank you for coming tonight, and we hope to see you very soon. Be blessed.